Let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you. And Father, we, we want to be changed by you. We want to be different people. We want to be new creations made through the Holy Spirit. Father, we, we study your word to get to know you and to grow closer to you just like we would do with any relationship with any person that we have. We would spend time talking with them and getting to know that person to grow in that relationship with them and the same with you. And Father, you've given us your words and we're thankful for that. We're thankful that you've revealed yourself to us through the, through the Holy Scriptures and that we can study them and read them and meditate on them and by doing so that we can hear your voice and learn who you are and who we are and grow in our relationship with you. And so, Father, we are grateful. We are grateful for that, that you've given us a copy of your word. Father, I pray that as we, we um, study your word today and as we participate in the Lord's Supper, that we would do it in a, a worthy manner and that you would enable us to see you clearly and to see what it is that we're doing here today, understand it, and to embrace it and enjoy it the way that you meant for us to. And we love you, Father. We look, we, think, we look back to the things that you've done in the past, and we, we stand on those. We stand on those promises, and, and we look forward to your return in the future. And, and, Father, we're thankful for your presence with us now. Father, please lead this service in a way that you would speak to us through the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts and, and draw us closer to you and to able, enable us to understand your word more clearly. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So the question is, what, why do we do the Lord's Supper? You know, you think about it, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. That's a really long time ago. And the culture that Jesus lived in was far different than our own. Um, for one, uh, as men in America, we don't walk around in robes. That's just not our typical daily attire. Um, but in Jesus's day, you would have seen Jesus walking around in a robe. Well, we didn't keep that tradition going, so why is it that we have this tradition still going after 2,000 years? It's because Jesus commanded us to. Um, he didn't command us to wear robes. Uh, I'm, I don't know. I've never won one, so I can't really tell you which is better. But, uh, well, I guess I have it plays, you know. Um, but, you know, there's two things that we call in the church, we call ordinances. There are two ordinances that we say that Jesus commanded us to do from the day that he was speaking to his disciples until the day he returns. There's two things that he commanded us to do as a church. One is baptism, when to go out, make disciples, and when people embrace Christ and accept the gospel message, we're to baptize them. That's one ordinance. And the other is the Lord's Supper. Once you've embraced Christ and once you've accepted him as your Savior, you're to participate in the Lord's Supper, as the Scripture says, on a regular basis. And so here at Yatesville Baptist Church, our regular basis is quarterly. That's how we do it here. But it is not something that has to only be done here. Jesus said to think about it and to think about what it represents as often as you do it. And the early church, they did it every week. So there's no restrictions on how often we can participate in the Lord's Supper, but one thing is important is that we do, we do it together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we do it together, and that we do it in reverence, and we do it in a way that honors God. So let's look at, let's look at the scriptures. Luke 22, 14 through 20, we read this. This is, this is um, the gospel of Luke. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, 
This is Jesus speaking. I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, Jesus, this is his last days on earth, okay? And he is about to participate in the Passover meal with his disciples. And this is what he's been fervently looking forward to doing. He said, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, the thing about this Passover meal is there's so much about this Passover meal. And every time that we have the Lord's Supper, um, there's so much that I could choose to talk about. There's some, you know, what, what am I going to spend my time preaching on up here this Lord's Supper, next Lord's Supper, the next Lord's Supper? There just seems to be so much that we just don't ever run out of stuff to talk about. So I know that I'm going to neglect a lot of things. There'll probably be a lot of things in your mind. You'll think, yeah, but what about this? And you know this is significant and and this, and, and that's okay. Um, there, there's, there's way more than I can cover. But because we're working through the Bible, I wanted to just kind of focus on where we just wrapped up um, in the Exodus and the Passover. Last week, the sermon last week was on the Passover, and that's kind of where I want to tie this, this sermon today. Um, Jesus gave us the command to do this in remembrance of himself. Um, and he said that this cup was the new covenant of his blood, which is poured out for us. Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 25. Paul wrote this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we see three things. First, that Jesus was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. That's what the scripture tells us. It was a pa- he was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. Two, that he changed the symbolism of the Passover meal from being about the exodus to being about himself, okay? So he re, reassigned what each thing, what it symbolized. And then third, that he established a new covenant in his blood. So let's look at the Passover meal. Exodus 12, 1 through 28 says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of the months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male, You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. 
You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it, roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cook in boiling water, but only roasted over fire, its head as well as as its legs and inner organs. Moses is given instructions by God. This is God's command. God's given instructions on on the Passover meal, how the Israelites are to participate and celebrate the Passover meal. The important parts that I want you to get from this is that, one, it had to be a year-old animal, okay? And that year-old animal, it could have been a sheep or a goat, had to be a male. That year-old male was, in essence, going to take the place of their firstborn males, okay? So God was allowing them to redeem their firstborn males with a year-old male as a sacrifice. And that another important verse in here was saying that that uh, the the bones of that sacrifice could not be broken. So the bones of that sheep or that goat were not allowed to be broken. The blood was to be wiped over the, the uh, doorposts and the lintel, and then as the angel of death would come by, the angel of death would spare that house and accept that sacrifice as a substitute for their own lives. It is to be eaten in one house. You may not take any of the meat outside the house, and you may not break any of its bones. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day when you came out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, for the Lord brought you out of here by the strength of his hand. Nothing leavened may be eaten. On that day, explain to your son, this is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Let it serve as a sign for you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead so that the Lord's instruction may be in your mouth. For the Lord brought you out of, the, out of Egypt with a strong hand. Keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. So this was, this was a, a, a tradition that God instituted. And he said, I want you to do this every single year. And I want you to teach your kids the significance of this meal every single year. Tell them, tell them as you go through this meal what each thing represented. And so the Jewish people would have gone on for generation after generation after generation after generation celebrating this Passover meal, always remembering how it represented their exodus from Egypt and how God passed over their firstborn males and accepted this sacrifice on, on, instead. So God defined what Passover represented to the Jews. The male son was redeemed by a male lamb. Unleavened bread represented how they left in such a hurry. You know, the scripture says that they, they didn't have any leaven in the bread because they, they got up and took off in the middle of the night and they left in such a hurry. And the bitter herbs represented their bitter life as slaves in Egypt. Jesus attributed new meanings to the Passover meal. Jesus said, For now on, do this in remembrance of me. And what he's saying is do this in remembrance of me and no longer in the remembrance of the Exodus. Because even though that was pointing back to this great miracle that God had did to save them, God had now performed a greater miracle with a greater sacrifice for your salvation. And that's what Jesus taught his disciples at that meal. 
Paul told the church in Corinth. He said, clean out the old leaven so that you may be new, a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And so this unleavened bread, you know, Paul is talking about it in the, in the sense of sin. That sin, leaven represented sin, and that sin would, would spread throughout the entire church body. And he's saying to remove from yourselves sin so that it doesn't spread and leaven the whole, the whole batch. And he, but he takes that idea of this leavened bread and he ties it directly for Christ is our Passover lamb. And so clearly the New Testament church considered Jesus to be their Passover lamb, that one perfect sacrifice in their place from now through all time. And just as the bones were not allowed to be broken for the Passover lamb, so Jesus' bones were not broken so that he would be able to fulfill that requirement of being that Passover lamb. <clears throat> John 19.33 says, When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. For these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And just as God brought the Israelites out of Egypt to be a nation unto himself, and he established a new covenant with them, Jesus establishes a new covenant with us. You know that our, our Bible, we have an Old Testament and a New Testament, right? You know that that word testament is the word covenant. So it's an Old Covenant and New Covenant. It's the same word. That's what our Old Testament and New Testament is, the Old Covenant and New Covenant that we had different, God instituted different covenants throughout time. He instituted a covenant with Noah. He instituted a covenant with Abraham, a covenant with Moses, a covenant with David. And then now our final covenant is now a covenant through Jesus. And so now we're under the new covenant. And that's how the New Testament church understood themselves. No longer under the old Mosaic covenant, but now under the new covenant with Christ. Exodus 24, 1 through 11 says, Then he said to Moses, Go up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of Israel's elders, and bow and worship at a distance. Moses alone is to approach the Lord, but the others are not to approach, and the people are not to go up with them. This is, we're, we're, we're fl- taking a flashback to Moses and when God establishes this covenant under the Mosaic covenant with the people. And so here's, here's what I want you to notice. That he said... I want you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the Israel's elders to come up and worship me for the establishment of this covenant, right? But he told them that you alone are allowed to come up here in my presence. Everyone else has to stay at a distance. They can't come up into my presence. Let's keep reading. Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people responded with a single voice. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early the next morning and set up an altar and 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. Then he sent out young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and set it in basins. The other half of the blood he splattered on the altar He then took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. They responded, we will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. So have you pictured this so far? Moses, they they perform these sacrifices. They have all this blood from these bulls that they sacrificed. 
And now Moses is reading the covenant scroll. This is the covenant that God is wanting to enter into with you. And he has this blood. And they all respond, we will do everything God has said. We will enter into this covenant agreement with God. Moses took the blood and then splattered it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Now, aren't you glad that when we celebrate our new covenant, that we do it with with grape juice and with uh, bread, and that I'm not standing up here splattering blood all, all over you. I, I'm For one, I'm thankful for that. Um, but this is, I'm just trying to get you to picture, this is what happened, that there was a sacrifice, and they entered into a covenant with God, and then th- Moses took the blood of that sacrifice, and he threw it out and spread it on the actual people, showing that they were covered by the blood of this sacrifice to enter into this covenant with God. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders. Remember all those folks that couldn't go up last time? Now that they've entered into the covenant agreement with God, now they're allowed to go up. And they saw the God of Israel. Beneath his feet, was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli. God did not harm the Israelite nobles. They saw him and they ate and drank. Here are the people that God said, you're not allowed to come in my presence. And then God offered them a covenant relationship that they could enter into. And they chose to enter into that covenant. A sacrifice in blood had to be spilt in order to to officiate that covenant. A sacrifice had to be made to cover them. And then God said, okay, now you're allowed to be in my presence, my relationship with me, and not only just be allowed in a relationship with me, but let me show you what relationship I want. I want one in which you're going to come up here with me and you're going to feast. We're going to have a meal together. That's what God wanted. You know, this is God's idea to do this. And so they they saw him and they ate and drank. So then Paul quotes Jesus. Now, Jesus instituted a new covenant. Paul quotes Jesus in 1 Corinthians 11:25. He said in the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood." So whereas the old covenant was ratified with the blood of bulls, and was sprinkled on the people, it did not take away their sin. But God honored their faith, knowing that he would provide a, a, a sacrifice that could take away their sin one day, that he could apply to them. So he honored their faith and obedience. We're in a new covenant relationship with God. We're no longer under the Mosaic covenant. Now we're under the new covenant established by the blood of Christ and not by the blood of bulls. Paul, writing about the old covenant versus the new covenant, says this, 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 18, such is the confidence we have through Christ. And this is, this is really beautiful, so just, just try to follow along and hopefully we won't have any more glitches. Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from a God. 
He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, chiseled in letters on stones, came with glory so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory. Now, y'all remember this. Moses went up on the mountain. God gave Moses the stone tablets of the the commandments, the, the covenant that he gave, this Mosaic covenant. After Moses had been with God and in his presence, Moses comes back and his face was glowing and radiating. Y'all, y'all remember that, that? And that to the point that Moses had to cover his face with a veil until the glowing um, glory that he had experienced from God kind of s- slowly went away to where he could un- unveil his face again because the people couldn't even look at him. And, and Paul is saying, look, if that ministry that brought death, and why did the law bring death? Well, because the law is, is the law. It tells us, this is, you can't do this, you can't do this, you must do this, and if you disobey the law, you're guilty, right? The law shows us we're guilty. That's what all the New Testament preachers teach. The law shows us we're guilty, and so therefore it brings death, showing that we deserve to die. But even if it came with glory, so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of his glory, which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory... The ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Since then, we have such a hope. We act with great boldness. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted, because it is set aside only in Christ. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What we learned and knew about ourselves from the law is that we were guilty and we needed a Savior. And we knew that the blood of bulls and goats was not sufficient. But God did provide his perfect Passover lamb. And that was his son. And now we're under that new covenant that Jesus himself established. Not under the law, the law of of Moses, but under the law of the spirit. Okay. And that Jesus himself is the one who removes that veil so that we can have unhindered relationship with God and to shine, shine that light to others. Second Corinthians five seventeen through 6, 2. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, 
and he has committed that message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, we also appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time, and now is the day of salvation. Jesus offers that, that free gift of grace and forgiveness to every single person, and he wants you to accept it today. Today. And he's told us, because those of us who have accepted that message, who have accepted and embraced that forgiveness in Christ, we are commanded to do this in remembrance of him until he returns. That day that we look forward to when he will, we will sit and have a banquet with him. You know that meal that I keep talking about that I'm looking forward to? To having in heaven with God and Jesus? That's what we're to look forward to. And you know, the early New Testament church, you're reading the book of Acts, they talk about how they broke bread together all the time, and, and they talk about these love feasts and these meals. You know, that was the beginning of this, of, of this uh, how, how we ended up doing the, the Lord's Supper now, 2,000 years later. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, and they did. And so they got together, they had a meal, and they said, look, you know what? This bread represents the body of Christ that he, he, he gave for us. And this blood, it represents the blood of Christ that he shed for us as a perfect Passover lamb to establish this new covenant. And this new covenant was offered to us, and God is offering this new covenant to us. You can enter into a relationship with me through faith in my son, Jesus Christ, placing your faith in him for your salvation as the perfect Passover lamb who will, who will be sufficient to forgive your sins in which you would, you would trust to save you on the last day. And so we, we remember what he did for us, and that should remind us to continually not turn our back on him and to not give up on him and to continually pour our lives out for him as he poured his life out for us. Just as the, the, the Israelites were commanded to do this every year so you don't forget, we're commanded to do this on a regular basis so we don't forget the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. So I encourage you, if you've ever placed your faith in Christ in any denomination under any time in life that you've trusted, decided that you are trusting Jesus for your salvation and you trust him alone to save you, if you've placed your faith in him, then I ask you and encourage you to, to participate in this with us as, as we have this, this um, service. So if the deacons would, would, would go ahead and, and come up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us now. I pray that there's not a single person in this room that hasn't made that decision. And I enjoy, um, I enjoy actually participating in this with you. Just as Jesus said to his disciples, I've been fervently looking forward to, to sharing this meal with you. Um, I look forward to sharing this meal with all of you brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and, and why is it that we um, just eat just a little bit of, of bread and just drink just a little bit of juice? Well, that comes from 1 Corinthians. And, and 1 Corinthians, they, they kind of abused the Lord's Supper, and some of them were, were gorging themselves in food and actually getting drunk, and, and others were, were eating and, and had nothing to eat and nothing to drink. 
And uh, Paul condemned them and said these words. He said, if you're hungry, eat at home. That's what he said. I didn't say it. That's what Paul said. He said, if you're hungry, eat at home. So that when you come to participate in this Lord's Supper together with the body of Christ, that you don't, you don't sin against your brothers and sisters in Christ and you don't make a mockery of Jesus' name. Um, so I am hungry and I intend to eat when I leave here. Um, but that's why we do this. Everybody gets the same equal portion. Everybody gets served. You know, everybody serves another person. And, and that's what we do. We serve each other. We love each other. We care about each other. And um, there's nothing wrong with us having these meals outside of, outside of church. We're, we're welcome to invite each other into each other's homes and share meals together. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made. Father, I pray that every single person in this room has already made a commitment to give their life to you and to follow you and to place their trust in you for their salvation. But if not, Father, I ask that they would do that right now, that they would place their faith in you right now. They would trust you and you alone for their salvation. They would believe your word and believe what you've said and, 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 and realize that we've sinned, every single one of us, and not a single one of us deserves to spend eternity with you and to be in relationship with you forever. But that's what you desire. You love us and you want that. And so you made a way for us to be forgiven. And it was through the, 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 the shedding of your own son's blood. A perfect, human, a perfect human being that lived this earth and never sinned and never deserved death, but was willing to take our punishment in our place so that we could be forgiven. And Father, we thank you. Father, we ask that you, you forgive us whenever we, we mess up and, and fail and, and through the Holy Spirit convict us of our sin and show us so that we can, we can repent and turn from that sin. And Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your forgiveness. The scripture says that if we would confess our sins to you, that you are just in, 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 in forgiving our sins, that you love us, and, Father, that you, you desire that none should, should perish, but that all should repent. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for that invitation. We thank you for that offer, and we trust you. And we love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.